0: Good morning Genesis. My name is Michael. I wanted to say thanks for taking time on your Sunday morning to join us. I hope that in the moments that we've already been together through song and worship that you've already been encouraged. Welcome to week number 6 of Hey Jesus. This is a series that we are specifically looking at questions that people asked Jesus. Now, there are two things that I do not want us to forget as we continue on in the series. First thing is this, questions reveal heart. Meaning the questions that we are asking God are often the best indicator of what is happening in our hearts towards God. And honestly, what's happening in our hearts towards other people. So all of that to say, we should pay attention to the questions that we're asking because it reveals what's going on within our heart. Second thing I want us to remember is this His answers reveal His heart. His answers, meaning Jesus' answers, reveal His heart for us. With every answer Jesus gives, we are catching a glimpse of not only His heart for the questioner, but His heart for all of us as well. This, to me, is the beauty of asking questions and listening to the answers that Jesus gives, because it is His heart that will change our heart. It's His heart that changes our heart. If you want to experience a change of heart, what I'm talking about is a heart that is filled with peace, or rest, or joy, or love, or grace. If you want to experience firsthand a heart that is free from things like fear, anxiety, worry, Hate, bitterness, unforgiveness. If you want to experience a heart change, specifically a heart that's filled with and a heart that is free from, well, that only is going to come from receiving Jesus' heart for you. With every question Jesus answered, he is not seeking just to pass along information, he is seeking to pass along transformation. Let's not forget as we go on in this series that it is Jesus' heart that will change our heart. And to be very honest with you, as I observe all that's happening in our world right now, specifically what's happening in our country and our culture, we are a people that need hearts changed. And I'm not just talking about some people that need hearts changed. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. All people need hearts changed. Now, out of all of the questions that we're going to consider in this series, I'm not sure that we're going to look at a question like we are today that actually reveals how dark the human heart can actually be. Out of all the questions that we are going to look at in this series, to be honest with you, there's not a question that bums me out more than this question that we look at this morning. It's one of those questions when you hear it asked, you kind of just think to yourself, did someone actually ask Jesus that question? Like, did that really happen? Now, over the years, I've asked my share of what I will call really, really, like really dumb questions. For example, I remember talking with a good friend of mine who works with deaf students. And so I began asking them all sorts of questions about Braille and what it was like to learn Braille and was it difficult. And after about a few minutes of me asking questions about Braille, they so graciously and very kindly said, Michael, you realize that Braille is for people who are blind, not for people who are deaf. I've asked my share of dumb questions along the way, like a lot of dumb questions, but I'm not talking this morning about a dumb question or even a ridiculous question that was asked. I'm talking about a question that was asked that reveals how dark the human heart can actually be. Now, before we look at this question, I wanted to paint a picture of what the environment was like in which this question was actually asked. This is a question that we're looking at that comes on the heels of Jesus inviting a man named Levi, otherwise known as Matthew, who was a tax collector to follow Jesus, to become a disciple of Jesus. Now, it was customary in the day that when there was a conversion that took place, immediately there would be some sort of celebration. So, Levi, after he decides to follow Jesus throws a big party to celebrate his new life. And on the guest list are all of Levi's friends and Jesus. So here's a glimpse into the party that is taking place in Mark chapter 2. It says in Mark 2 verse 15, Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. I love that Levi did not even, it didn't even occur to Levi that Jesus might not want to be around his disreputable friends. And I love that Levi, it didn't even occur to him that maybe his sinful, notoriously sinful friends would not want to be around Jesus. His assumption simply was Jesus is going to love my friends, and my friends are going to absolutely love Jesus. So let's have a big party where they can both meet one another. Now, I don't know if you knew that, but I wanted you to know that Jesus, He loves your friends. Not just some of your friends, Jesus loves your friends, even the friends that don't love Him, even the friends that are not even interested in Jesus. He doesn't love some of them, but He loves all of your friends. Now what I've noticed about myself over the years is this, the longer I've been walking with God, I've realized that I have begun making assumptions about my friends that I didn't used to make. For example, when I was 12, I distinctly remember sharing with my grandfather who did not know who Jesus was. As a 12-year-old, I remember sharing with him about who Jesus was and about Jesus' heart for him and about Jesus' desire for my grandfather to follow him. It did not even occur to me that he would not be at all interested in hearing anything about Jesus. But as I've grown older, both numerically and spiritually speaking, I have noticed that I've begun making assumptions about people that sounds something like this, that person is not interested in Jesus, so I'm not going to talk to them about Jesus. So this is what is so challenging and even convicting to me about Levi. Levi didn't say no for his friends. Levi didn't say no for his friends. He assumed his friends would want to meet Jesus to experience what he had experienced with Jesus are you saying no for anyone right now? Like, are you saying no for anyone right now? Is there a friend or family member or coworker or maybe a neighbor that you are saying no for them? And the reason that you're saying no for them is because you've just assumed by way of their lifestyle that they would not at all be interested in Jesus because they're too interested in things like making money, they're too interested in their career or they're too interested in their degrees or they're too interested in politics or too interested in just working out they're too interested in relationships whatever it is the reason is there anyone in your life any of your friends that you are currently saying no for someone right now because what i love about levi is that he did not look at his friends and when I say his friends, the Bible makes very clear in Matthew or Mark 2:15, that his friends in attendance at this big party are those who are considered outcast, those who are considered scandalous, both spiritually speaking but also socially speaking. Levi did not look at his friends and say, "No way will they ever be interested in Jesus." And Levi did not look at his friends and say, no way would Jesus ever be interested in actually any of my friends. He brought them together for one ginormous celebration. So as best as you can, try to envision this scene happening right now. Jesus, the one who claimed to be God in flesh, the Son of God, the Savior, the Messiah, the Redeemer, He is partying it up with those that not only have been rejected by society, but the common belief is these people had also been completely rejected by God because of their lifestyle choices. Now, I know it sounds strange to hear the phrase, Jesus was partying, but the Bible actually makes very clear that Jesus loved to attend parties like this. In Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 7, this is what Jesus said of Himself in verse 34. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say He is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, I'm not suggesting by any means that Jesus was getting drunk. He most certainly was not. But what I am saying is this, Jesus loved to be around those That no one expected him to be around. And the people that would not, you wouldn't expect that they would love to be around Jesus are the very people that loved being around him. So, in the midst of what I think would have been an absolutely amazing celebration, an amazing party taking place, some party crashers showed up and they asked Jesus' disciples a question. And I want to note this question, it's going to be answered by Jesus, but it actually was not directed towards Jesus. It was directed towards His disciples. This is in Mark chapter 2, verse 16. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw Him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked His disciples, why does He eat with such scum? Why does he eat with such scum? Now, before I unpack that a little bit, one of the things I don't want us to miss that's very significant is this. Meal sharing signified friendship. Meal sharing signified an invitation into relationship. To eat with someone was to communicate to them, I want to know you. And it was to communicate, I want you to know me. I mean, I think we understand this this principle, this concept. When you invite someone into your home to share a meal, you're saying something so much more than just, hey, I didn't want to eat by myself because I do that all the time, so I just wanted to invite you over so I didn't have to be by myself to eat one more Hot Pocket. When you invite people to your table, you're saying something very powerful. What you're saying to someone when you invite them into your home to share a meal is, I like you. I actually want to be friends with you and establish a relationship with you. So what was utterly perplexing to the Pharisees is that God's Messiah was befriending people not only that were considered enemies of Israel but also enemies of God. They just did not have a category for Jesus befriending anyone other than themselves. I don't know about you, but when you heard the question that was asked, my heart sank. How is it possible that anyone could ever look at somebody else and declare, you're scum? Like, how is it possible that in someone's heart, a question could come from the heart that said, that person is absolute scum, Now, to be completely honest with you, after asking myself and wrestling with that question, it took me all of three seconds to realize that it's actually very easy to look at someone and declare that they are scum because I did that to the Pharisees. What the Pharisees did to the people at the party, I immediately began to do to them. Meaning, I looked at the Pharisees and declared in my heart, you are scum for even asking such a horrific question. And what's even worse is that I was able to rationalize in my own heart towards the Pharisees that I was justified in saying that they were scum for thinking someone else was scum. It's okay for me to view them like that because of how they're viewing other people like that. So when I first read this question, I realized I'm no different. I'm no different than these party crashers, I'm no different than these Pharisees. I did to them what they were doing to the people at the party. You think they're scum? Well, guess what? I now think you're scum for thinking they're scum. And let's just be very honest. How often do we do the exact same thing? That person clearly hates people, so I hate you for how you hate those people. And what's so uh, sad is this. We're able to rationalize our hate because their hate is somehow different than our hate towards them. Humans just have this incredible propensity to rationalize just about anything in order to justify our feelings, our attitudes, and our responses. So let me just ask, I think, a challenging question. Will that line of thinking, will that mentality, will that heart condition ever change anyone or anything ever? Will me thinking that they're scum because they're thinking someone else is scum, will it ever change anyone? Will it ever change anything? And I think the answer is simply, absolutely not. As I mentioned earlier, it's only Jesus' heart that will begin to change our heart. And what I love about how Jesus answers this question is it so clearly reveals what His heart is for people, not just some people, but for all people. This is in Mark chapter 2, verse 17. When Jesus heard this, He told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Do you notice what Jesus didn't do? He didn't rebuke the Pharisees at all. He didn't even try to correct them at all. And he certainly didn't respond to them like I did in my heart and thinking, gosh, you guys are such scum for thinking they're scum. Jesus simply reiterated his mission. Jesus simply made clear why it is he came. Those that you think of as scum, well, those are the ones that I've come to invite into the kingdom of God so they can participate in the great banquet of God. The very people that you're thinking are scum. Well, guess what? Those are the ones that I've come to invite to be part of my kingdom so that they could enjoy an eternity at the great banquet of God. You see, this is why I love the metaphor that Jesus uses in his answer. I'm a doctor, ergo I spend time with sick people. I'm a physician, so I'm going to position myself around people who are not healthy. This is why Jesus' mission is such good news, because Jesus came specifically for those who are messed up. Jesus came specifically for those who just have had mistake after mistake after mistake. Jesus came specifically for those who have hurt others deeply and have been hurt by others deeply. Jesus came for those who would confess, listen, I'm not all that. Jesus came for those who would confess, I cannot get my act together, my motives are far from pure. Jesus came for those who would admit, I understand that I am far from perfect, and pretending to be perfect is absolutely exhausting. Jesus came for those who would confess, I'm sick, and I need a physician. Jesus came for those who would agree, I am a sinner and I have sinned. But herein lies the problem. Not everyone thinks of themselves as sick. Not many people are walking around thinking that they're perfect, but most people are walking around thinking to themselves, but I'm not that bad. Yeah, I get that I'm not perfect, but I'm honestly, I'm not that bad case in point, the Pharisees viewed themselves as incredibly righteous individuals. They viewed themselves as very healthy. And sadly, the more righteous one views themselves, well, the more you'll begin to diminish who Jesus is, and the more you'll begin to minimize what Jesus actually came to do. So, let me just ask you this question. Did Jesus come for you? did Jesus come for you? Meaning, at this party with Jesus, there were two types of people. There were those there who knew they were sinners. They knew they were sinners. And then there was another person at people at the party that were there who thought of themselves as incredibly righteous. Now, listen again to what Jesus said. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. So, did Jesus come for you? Now, what I'm asking is this, do you view yourself as sick in need of a doctor? Do you view yourself as a sinner in need of a Savior? Or do you just honestly view yourself as one who's ultimately pretty healthy, as one who acts, generally speaking, pretty righteous in what you do? Because one of the things that you need to know, one of the things that I need to remind myself is the Bible makes crystal clear is that we have all messed up. Not one person is without sin. Not one person is righteous in and of themselves. It says in Romans, everyone, not just a few, not just some, not a lot, but everyone has sinned. And all, not some, not a few, but all fall short Of God's glorious standard. Now, if that's the only verse that we had in all of Scripture, well, then we'd be in trouble because that's just bad news. But the good news of how Jesus answered this question is this Jesus came for all people because all people are sinful people. Jesus came for all people. In love, Jesus invited Levi, Matthew who was a notorious sinner, a tax collector, in love, Jesus said, Levi, I want you to follow me. And Levi said, I will follow you. In love, when Jesus answered uh, the Pharisees' question, that was their moment. That was their moment in time to joyfully turn to Jesus and say, well, gosh, then Jesus, you have come for us because we are no different than the ones we thought of as scum. And sadly, they were blinded by their own self-perceived righteousness and they completely missed Jesus. They completely rejected Jesus. And in love, Jesus is inviting you, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you haven't done, Jesus is inviting you to follow Him. And so if you have not said yes to friendship with Jesus, to His invitation for you to to follow Him, well, you can do that now. You can make that decision from where you are watching this morning to simply say, I'm not going to follow my sin anymore. I'm not going to follow me and myself and all that I want to do. I've heard the invitation from Jesus in love is to follow Him, and that's the choice that you can make today, to follow Him. And for those of you who have said yes to following Jesus, whether it was a week ago, a year ago, 10 years ago, or 60 years ago, like Levi, well then, you and I get to continually throw parties for our friends so they can experience what you have. Jesus inviting a sinner into friendship with Himself. This story in Mark chapter 2 is such a picture of God's love. It's such a picture of just God's grace. And so in the next few moments, I've asked uh, some folks from our worship team to lead us in a time of reflection, but specifically singing a song that I think is probably one of the most well-known songs, whether Christian or if you're not a Christian, it's a song you know, and it's called Amazing Grace. And as they lead us in singing the song, I just want you to take a moment to reflect on this one question. What impact is God's amazing grace having on you? What impact is God's amazing grace having on you? Because when grace came to Levi, to Matthew, his first response was to follow Jesus and say, I've got to go get my friends so they can meet Jesus as well. What impact is God's amazing grace having on you. One of the more well-known verses in the song Amazing Grace is that, that line, that lyric says, that, that saved a wretch like me. When we get to that part of the song, I just want you to ask yourself the question, who are you thinking about when you say saved a wretch like me? Are you thinking about who you are? or Are you thinking about maybe someone else? Because grace came to save a wretch like me, and grace came to save a wretch like you. So please enter into this moment to reflect what impact is God's amazing grace having on you.
1: to feed.